The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 99 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined today by our founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Chris. Good to be with you again. And you know what? It's almost exactly one year since the lockdown. We finally got ourselves a little roadmap out of the uh, the mire we've been in, the, the tragedy of how things have been for so many people during the course of the year. But, if, but you know, one thing's for sure, even though we have been in lockdown, some people have been making tremendous strides in their wealth. And one of those is our guest today, Mr. Mark Stokes. Yeah, Mark is a good friend of Wealth Builders, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with Mark, which we'll be sharing in a few moments. And, and we're talking specifically today about quite remarkable feat, which was how Mark managed to double his pension in the space of just 24 months. And uh, and he'd been working in a long corporate career. And um, like so many people, Kevin, they uh, get to a point where they just decide that enough is enough and it's time to embark on the next phase. And that was certainly a phase that Mark embraced. And uh, we'll hear all about the tremendous things that have been happening since he made that decision. Oh, absolutely. And it's a, it's a good story. And everybody whatever they are on their wealth building journey, there's a catalyst somewhere, you know, something which is the, another ROI, Chris, you know, I'm a big fan of ROIs, a reason to overcome inertia. Uh, that was big for me with the tragic death of my father, very young and prompted me to, you know, try and get wealthy as early as possible. So the catalyst obviously for Mark was very different from mine, a whole different thing, but still revolving around family And, um, you know, I know he was also touched by somebody's early death. There's a friend of his, a friend of his he often talks about called Pete, who was on the verge of joining Mark on the new chapter, a new chapter in his life. But unfortunately, he collapsed and died, didn't make it. And uh, the tragic consequence of that was the pension for his spouse was halved and uh, no legacy for the children. So you know, he's very deeply passionate now about pensions and doing the right thing, as you'll hear. And you'll hear that he, very rare that you see somebody get so passionate about something, they even start to write about it and they want to create a whole movement around almost educating people to discover the secret that was so well hidden that he discovered when he was ready to find it. So it'd be great to hear from Mark and debrief, you know, some thoughts from him at the end. Okay, let's head on over to our conversation today with Mr. Mark Stokes. Mark, a very warm welcome to Wealth Talk today. Thank you, Christian. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. And it's fantastic to have you back, Mark. I was just looking back through the archives. It was actually Wealth Talk number 18 when uh, you uh, appeared and talked about the SAS pension. And we're now nearly at 100 episodes. So how time flies. 100 already, is it? Well done. Well, you're doing some great work out there. So uh, well Thanks done. Thanks so much, Mark. Now, I know many of our listeners will be familiar with your name and, uh, you know, you've got a great story to tell. Today, we're talking about quite some achievement, which is how you managed to double your pension within two years. So we'll we'll come into the details of that in a moment. But for anyone listening, perhaps who hasn't had the pleasure of, you know, your company online or offline, would you mind just giving our listeners a brief introduction? 
Yeah, Mark Stokes, live in Surrey, just outside of Guildford. Um, been in business for for 25 odd years. Uh, retired in my mid 40s uh, in 2015. Um, and since then, I've taken that construction and real estate and investment knowledge over those 25 years uh, and set up multiple businesses involved in property, education, and of course, uh, SAS pensions as well. So like many people listening, probably, Mark, you were in a corporate job for, for many years and uh, you decided uh, it was time for a change. So what was the catalyst exactly? Yeah, so look, 25 years is a, is a long time in corporate life. I, I, I only had two employers during that 25-year that period. Um, I probably had 50 or 60 roles and that took me across four continents, 33 countries. And, and that takes its toll after a while. There was a lot of responsibility. And I was on the board of seven different companies um, at the time, back in late 2014. I also have uh, four children. I, I've, I'm now married to my wife for 22 years. Um, and the reality was there there would have been an eighth company and a ninth and a tenth that I would have been a board director of. Um, and the more successful I was in corporate life, the less time I was spending with my with my children and you know with the family and the people that I I love. And uh, I had to draw a line under that. I had to make a I was going to say a tough call, but I had to make a call. I had to decide whether I wanted to continue down that path or whether I wanted to focus on my relationship with the ones that I love. Um, so I I sat down with my chief exec in late 2014 and uh, and just leveled with her. I said, like, this is the way my life's going and uh, this is what I'd like to do. Um, I always wanted to be a good leaver, um, leaving the corporate environment. And indeed, it did take, you know, best part of seven or eight months to, to leave corporate life and uh, quite a what a heady time that was as well. But uh, yeah, so it was spending more time with my my family, looking at long range horizons um, and uh, yeah, surrounding myself with uh, the people that I care about. Well, I'd love to know actually kind of what happened after you made that decision. So for that eight month period, you know, as you were almost exiting a career that you'd been in for so long, uh, I imagine some people listening now, that's a bit of a kind of scary thought um, so what were sort of some of the steps that you needed to put in place to be able to sort of move on to the next phase? Well, it's a, it's a really great question. Um, the freedom for me was not when I left corporate life. It wasn't eight months before I left corporate life when I sat down with my chief exec. It was a month before that. When I decided, I sat down with my wife, we, we, had, a, we had a chat. And uh, we decided that the time was right for for me to exit corporate life. The moment I made that decision, that was freedom, the likes of which I I really hadn't experienced in in all that corporate life. From that point on, the company, um, well, the company was working for me. The company was, um, uh, I suppose, employing me and managing my exit strategy, although they didn't realize it at the time. Um, so I knew that I was on another path for the 25 years before it had always been, you know, my entire life, pretty much, you know, I'd, I'd ridden to some pretty heady ranks uh, around the world. 
Um, so yeah, the, the, the whole thing turned. It was a mindset shift. It turned on its axis, and now the company was working for me. I have to say over those eight or nine months uh, until I did leave, I probably put just as many, if not more, hours into the role. It was very demanding. I, I had to merge, acquire, and and also um, shed uh, a lot of businesses and a lot of companies. I was a, a corporate troubleshooter as well. So, but yeah, that was uh, that was key. So that was the the trigger um, because I was so absorbed um, in in doing the right thing for my employer and, and leaving. That was uh, that was it was pretty. Uh, pretty clear for me that um i needed to build I, I needed to design a parachute i needed to put the parachute on before i jumped out the corporate jet um that's how i would use the analogy um and that took a while to design and i think all of us when when you're leaving whatever form of employment there's always that that pause that hesitation it could be confidence um but how are you going to repurpose the skills you've got and where I do see a lot of people struggle is they they don't recognize the skills that they've worked a lifetime to curate, curate and nurture. Um, you know, if you've been in business five or ten years, if you've run a business, if you've been an employee, if you're an accountant, whatever your background is, you've got some core skills there. Don't cast those, you know, dash those on the rocks and think that, oh, I'm going into another world of entrepreneurship and they're now not relevant. They absolutely are relevant. Take those with you, build on them, recognize them, repurpose them, absolutely. Um, but build a very clear, coherent strategy um, very quickly. So there's some there's some key steps and mindset shifts that I went through. Yeah, such an important lesson that really is. So what exactly did you step into then? So on that first day of freedom, Mark, you know, were you just sitting at home watching TV or were you straight into, you know, projects? Yeah, well, I, I don't rest on my, my laurels. Uh, anybody who knows me well will, will understand that. Um, so I, my background way back when I did my degree was in construction management. I've been involved in real estate and property for for all of those 25 years, power stations, data centers, highly resilient uh, structures. So, you know, with with over 3 million square feet of of property under my belt um, that I deployed, it probably wouldn't surprise anybody that I went into, into property. Um, I'd been very well looked after in corporate life. Um, but like many people, my cost base um, in my home life had, had also increased as well. Um, so I took some pretty clear measures to reduce my cost base, um, to increase my interest in, in property portfolio, to increase cash flow. So that was my first priority. How can I increase cash flow so I have a, a very resilient asset base to offset my, my previous um, uh, employment, PAYE and bonuses and all the fringe benefits? I knew it had to be in a highly tax-efficient environment. Um, so my, my mandate to myself was to take control of my personal economy, take control of everything. And I started with my tax position, and I had a very basic self-assessment tax position. You know, I, I had a singular income stream. It was very high, but it was a singular income stream. So I set to work on looking at the structure for my assets, where my 
my uh, personal return would come from. Would that be in dividends? Would that be in uh, salary, mortgageability? Just putting the, the right framework and tapestry around my my personal economy. And that happened relatively quickly. Um, most of my interests at that time in those first few years were about uh, about property and they would be in buy-to-lets, HMOs, we did a we did a lot, you know, fifteen or twenty vitalettes and HMOs in the first six months. But I'm, uh, you know, I've been involved in hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollar US dollars of transactions over the years. So I was naturally drawn to maybe some of the larger, more complex uh, transactions, um, commercial to residential conversions, land developments. Um, so that got me working very closely with high net worth private investors uh, with the banks and and with larger deals and I've an, another catalyst for me as well was I don't I've always been involved in joint ventures um you, you know my my good friend and uh, uh partner um Nigel Green you know Nigel and I have been involved in joint ventures for 22 years and in fact, my first joint venture was back in 1992. I worked for a, a large U.S. contractor called Peter Kiewit and Sons, and um, the contract I was responsible for was uh, on Lock and Dam 16 on the Mississippi in Muscatine, Iowa. About 30 million U.S. dollar refurbishment on in the winter of 92, 93, um, and that was a, a joint venture between Peter Kiewit and Sons and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers which was rather an interesting clash of, uh, of cultures, I, I can assure you. Um, so joint ventures, not going it alone, but, uh, you know, understanding the real, uh, the real power behind uh, working with, um, you know, in collaborative manner was, was really important. Yeah. Now, one of the big bonuses, of course, of a long corporate career is pillar number two, which is pensions. So let's come on to this topic because I know it's an area that you managed to leverage, uh, you know, to quite some effect. So, um, what was your relationship like with your pension for many years, Mark? Um, very, very clear on my relationship with my pension. It was, um, it was about a three-minute experience once a year of picking a letter off a doormat, um, looking at my pension statement, and thinking, "Well, that's not very good. Hopefully, it'll be better next year." That was my pension management strategy. Not particularly proud of it. That was my pension strategy for a quarter of a century. Um, but I come back to that mandate I gave to myself and, and to my wife that we would take control of our personal economy at the end of 2014, 2015. And that included all aspects. And, you know, my pension I knew was one of the largest bank accounts that uh, I had, but I didn't have access to. Had absolutely no idea of SIPs and SASs at that time and alternative structures, um, but you know I was I was like a, a dog with a bone there. I, I needed to find a solution. I worked very quickly, um, but uh, you know I like I like pressure. Um, I did a lot of due diligence, and in doing that due diligence, which took you know six seven months to work out what a what a SAS was, um, what a SIP was, looking at all the options, talking to people. It was very clear that there wasn't really one place to to go at that time. You know, wealth builders didn't exist then, SAS Alliance didn't exist then, um, and there was only fragments of information out there. 
Um, so I, I drew that together and through my experiences uh, decided on on SaaS. That was the that was the thing to do way back then. Um, it was only after I'd set my SaaS up in 2016 that I first met Kevin. Um, so you know, Kevin and I have had a you know long running uh, relationship and friendship over all things SaaS and wealth creation ever since then. But setting up a SaaS for the first time was was a big big step for me, Christian, um, in taking control of that personal economy. I wanted to challenge tradition. I was ready to challenge tradition and taking control as being a, a trustee, and we have four trustees in our in our SAS, myself, Nigel, and our respective wives. That was a, a very big catalyst um, for us. And having taken control, you know, I wanted I wanted a very clear mandate. I wanted to play by all the rules, play by all the options that HMRC allowed me to do so. Um, so yeah, it was it was invigorating to say the least. Mm. So let's talk about what happened over the next two years. Um, how did you manage to double that pension? Yeah, so so we uh, we flew out the blocks. To be honest, um, we um, putting uh, put in a number of offers um, for uh, commercial property. It won't surprise you. Um, we our first property that we acquired was um, a five well, it's three five story offices side by side. Um, in uh, in the Midlands, um, and we acquired that property on a conditional basis, um, subject to getting planning, um, and we duly got planning, and we, uh, we we converted that to eighteen apartments. So we acquired the commercial property in the SAS. We got planning for residential. Um, before the development happened, we decided to sell that from our SAS. So that created a, a nice return for the SAS. And in fact, we still hold those 18 apartments in, in another limited company. So that was the first thing that we did. Um, then we uh, we were back in cash uh, in our SaaS. So uh, we went shopping again um, and we found a property, a small property, actually. It was uh, to let in Colchester in Essex. Uh, it's called Portal Precinct. Um, now, we weren't really looking for a property to let, but here's a, a bit of a top tip for, for anybody who is involved in commercial property or wants to find more. Um, you know, not everybody knows that they want to sell a property. You know, if there is distress, if somebody's got a vacant property, then could they, um, you know, and it's out for let, might they want to sell it? And that's exactly what we did. Went and had a look. We liked it. We said, look, we're not going to let this, but we might be interested to buy it if you've got any more assets like this. It turns out that the uh, the gentleman was in his mid-70s. Um, he did indeed own the other, the other four properties around this property to let. He wanted uh, a million pounds for, for, for all five properties. Clearly, we didn't want to pay a million pounds for those five properties, so uh, we got a... Uh, we got a great deal there. We paid about six hundred and ten thousand for for those five properties. Um, we acquired it on a conditional basis, subject to planning. So we kept the five commercial properties as commercial, but we wanted to uh, get full planning permission for three apartments in the uppers, in the the attic, if you like, in the uh, the, the stockroom and storerooms. And we also did uh, what most people now would know as airspace rights. 
Um, well, this was a forerunner to airspace rights. We went into planning to put in a, a bridge, if you like, to put in an extension across a, a utility uh, entrance. Um, so we, we we built that. Um, we then refreshed all the leases on the property, brought new parties in, extended lease terms, got a commercial valuation on it. Clearly, at this stage, we'd developed the residential properties outside of the SAS, um, and we held and still do hold the five commercial properties inside the SAS. Um, so that was absolutely phenomenal for us. We got a great valuation on the three residential that sit outside of the SAS. So, yeah, it took me 25 years to um, contribute into my corporate pension or pensions um, and all the returns that compounded over 25 years. And, uh, yeah, we, we doubled my, my pension in 24 months by doing primarily the, the second transaction. Um, absolutely staggering. But, you know, the most important thing to me, Christian, was the freedom of operating under my own license. There were, I could control the fees and we were buying in cash. That freedom meant more to Nigel and myself and our families than the money itself in many respects, because what it gave us, it gave us a hunting license. It gave us that license to operate and that that empowerment um, to run a significant part of our personal economy that had probably through my own naivety over 25 years had been out of reach. And that was a game changer. Yeah. Well, I mean, congratulations on on achieving that. I know you've you've done so much more since then, but uh, it was, it's interesting because Kevin and I ran a, a webinar last night and uh, we were talking about the seven freedoms which drive people. And we know financial freedom is the initial driver for many people, but it's really time. It's just having that time to do the things that you want. And um, I mean, in what other ways has your SAS transformed your life, would you say? You know, what else is it now allow you to do that you couldn't do before? Um, I mean, where do, where do I start? And um, so many different areas. Um, we're just about to use a loan back to acquire a commercial base, uh, a commercial property. So, um, and we'll, we'll be doing a, a three tranche loan back. So we'll be buying the land with tranche one and then doing the build with tranche two and then the fit out tranche three. So using a quite an innovative way of using loan backs. Um, and that will sit as a, a an asset in our limited company for, for many years to come. So a loan back is one. Um, the I mentioned uh, that it was my four children. I wanted to spend more time with my four children and I, I now work predominantly from home. Um I wanted to instill in them that there were there was a different way to operate. I found, um, you know, the, the 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 wonderful joy of being a, being a father and bringing up children. You know, it's it's not easy. And if somebody ever did write a book, I haven't read it. Um, so I've I've had to learn by you know mistakes and and things. And and one of the one of the great things that Assass has done for me is it's help illustrate to my children to look ahead in life. It's very difficult for a 10 or a 15-year-old uh, young person to think 
when they're 30, when they're 40, when they're 50. You know, that's three or four times their current lifespan ahead of them. So making that connection and looking ahead. And uh, the, the um, I think many entrepreneurs, they focus on the legacy, but they forget the custodianship of the legacy. And that's one of the most satisfying things that I think Nigel and I do with our SaaS and with our company. You know, all of our eight children between us, Nigel's got four and I've got four, all of our eight children, they're all shareholders in our company. They're all destined, should they wish, um, to be trustees of, of the SaaS. Um, and, uh, you know, I can, I can take my children and go and have a, have a latte in a, in a cafe and we own the building. You know, our SaaS owns the property and they start to see pensions in a very different context. And that, that's incredibly powerful because it, it resonates with them. They're, they're not going to understand a spreadsheet, but they start to understand those, you know, the, the, the thought process, the cogs start turning for them. Um, so that there's many permutations here in terms of legacy, the custodianship, the connection, um, the financial return. Uh, the cost of each transaction has fallen through the floor for us, which is great. You know, we've got um, access to liquidity at the lowest possible rates. We're doing a very large loan back at the moment, um, the largest one we've done, um, and that will be at about 1.2% cost of funds per annum. Um, and we see many development transactions are more like, you know, 1% per month. So, you know, it, it's uh, an absolute game changer in, in so many ways. Well, you mentioned there, obviously, the importance of passing on those lessons to your family and um, you've written five books, Mark. Um, so one of those books was titled Advice to Your Younger Self. So uh, tell us a bit more about that and, and of course, the other books and, and what led you to, to write? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I think I'm going to take you back to when I was about nine or 10 years old. There was a series of books called The Hardy Boys. Um, for, any, for anybody who's in their 40s or 50s, they may, may remember The Hardy Boys. And I, I was always an avid reader. My my mum my and dad always you know, encouraged me to, to read. So I've always absorbed books with a, with a passion. Um, so over the 35 years, it's been the kind of itch that I wanted to scratch, really, to always imagine myself, you know, the smell of a book and the crispness of the pages. I, I just, I just always wanted to be an author, but over 25 years of business life, I guess it, it kind of, it battered me down a bit and suppressed, you know, I didn't know what to write on, didn't have the time or the, the, the energy and didn't know how. But when I left corporate life, it was right. Okay. Let's focus on the things I really want to do. So I am going to write a book. Now I need to find a subject. Um, and the first book was Commercial to Residential Conversions. Uh, I felt very comfortable given my, you know, three million square feet of, of, of experience in doing those type of developments. Um, and then SAS Pensions was a natural uh, second book because I'd done the research, my own due diligence. Well, if I was finding it so difficult to find this information, then surely there are other people who might benefit from um, you know, reading a, a book on that basis. And then advice to your younger self was, it was, I was looking for, looking for a give back. I'd had a, a lot of, I've been approached, um, I set up something called Young Entrepreneur uh, about three and a half, four years ago. Um, 
And a lot of people had said, Oh, you should, you should do a course on that, Mark. You should, you should, you know, mentor children and things like that. Um, and that wasn't really what I wanted to do. You know, imagine a a child coming on a course. Well, I don't want to take money off children. And when does a child want to come on a course? You know, Saturday afternoon when they could be at ballet or football or, you know, or half term. Nah, it just didn't feel right. So I came up with this concept of, uh, and this ended up being advice to your younger self of, you know, no matter where you are in life, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, if you were to take yourself back, given what you know now to when you were, say, 13, 14, 15, what two or three pieces of advice do you wish somebody had, you know, put their arm around your shoulder and just whispered a couple of things in your ear? What advice do you wish you'd been given? And I felt I wasn't qualified to write a book of that magnitude. So I reached out to 48 other people who I who I know, like, and trust and uh, asked them each to write a chapter of that book. So from there are 49 different perspectives from people from all walks of life. Um, so I, I hope it's a force for good. I hope the lessons that are enshrined in those pages um, will compound not just for the 49 people that wrote a chapter, but for all the you know thousands that have, have got the book and hopefully they will pass those wisdom and the wisdom contained in the book to to the next generation and all the proceeds go to go to good causes as well so it's a, it's a give back to society in hopefully so many different ways yeah yeah and i know giving back is important to you and and you know there's other obviously other ways that you're giving back as well um also have to mention one of your other books that you co-wrote with one of our members louise wright and the sas superstars and i think that that came out last was that 2020 yeah september 2020 oh louise is absolutely fantastic and and she did some amazing work of you know not just um interviewing um you know 10 sas trustees uh, many of which are, are members of the wealth builders community um not just interviewing them but the way she drew out the the lessons learnt, um you know the takeaways in each at the end of each chapter um it was just an absolute privilege to uh, uh, to work with Louise. Uh, she's a great personal friend, um, and it just shows that you know collaboration takes you in many different ways. Um, and I absolutely love it. Now, of course, Wealth Builders sits on you know three three core values of good education, good support, and good connections. And community, we know, is really important when it comes to wealth building. And um, you've created along with Nigel the SAS Alliance so tell us how did that come about well it came about in I think it was the summer of 2017 so you know nearly three and a half four years ago now and um, SAS wasn't very well known at, at that time and and we'd created we'd created a lot of knowledge we were starting to do some some great things and and our our echo community was growing as well but i saw there was a place in the world where like-minded people focused on sas and growing their wealth this was nothing to do with property at that time you know it was just purely people interested in sas um could come together um with the objective of sharing information knowledge nobody's competing with each other just competing with what you're capable of 
um, and everybody rises together. Um, and we're now over 4,000 members in the, in the community. Um, uh, and, and these are people who are entrepreneurial. They've taken control of, of their personal economy. They collaborate um, and they have all challenged tradition. They have all decided that that three-minute-a-year pension management strategy of picking a statement off the doormat each Christmas and thinking, that's not very good, hopefully it'll be better next year, is not the life they want to lead. Um, so it, it's been wonderful, and the, the, the volume of interest, the type of people, and that uh, the law of reciprocity, I think, lives, uh, li- lives very bright every day in that community. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course, before lockdown, we had some great events and, uh, you know, attended many of those London events where you had fantastic turnouts and and also up in Leeds. I mean, all across the country, SAS Alliance events were taking place. And um, it's almost like a secret club, isn't it? It's like, you know, the the unknown secret weapon of wealth building and uh, the stories and and sharings were just incredible. So well done for bringing everyone together there. And uh, of course, now that's moved online and a thriving Facebook group, um, which, um, you know, where should someone go if they want to obviously connect with the SAS Alliance, Mark? Yeah, so if they go to the SAS Alliance Facebook group, um so uh yeah just a couple of simple questions there and we'll let you in and and that's a real it's a real safe environment for for people to understand what sas is we uh, kevin and i do a uh, a monthly uh, explorer session for those exploring sas for the first first time who want to understand you know the right type of questions to ask uh, a sas isn't for everybody um but once you get your head around it and if you if you ensure that you 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 prepare to take on the accountability and responsibility, we just see people flourish. You know, it's uh, it's just absolutely wonderful. So, SAS Alliance uh, Facebook group, and uh, we've got our SAS Alliance conference on twenty fifth of March. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just a, a wonderful growing community. Yeah. Now. Obviously, now reaching financial independence, Mark, and being able to give back. What are the next goals for you? Where do you see things in the next five to ten years? Well, I see our, our SaaS being um, very key. To be honest, um, taking the theme of of being in control of our economy, um, we're acquiring a, as an example a piece of land at the moment, and we're going to be doing a, a new build and commercial property. Now we're doing that with a with a loan back. So as our SaaS grows, our capacity to do loan backs grows, which means our capacity to acquire more property in the SaaS or outside of the SaaS grows. It means we create a greater level of independence on how we fund deals, how we collaborate with others. So gradually, you know that 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 uh, acquisition of, of of a diverse array of assets. Um, just grows. Um, I'm. I, I guess many people will know me for um, our commercial to residential conversions. We do a lot of big developments between sort of five million and twenty million GDV, um, which is great. But I think what strategically about pre-COVID, actually, about eighteen months ago, we we looked at our asset portfolio and decided that we'd like to start a, a diversification program and, and bring in not just apartments, but new houses, new build houses. 
because we felt, you know, growing families, back gardens, you know, a car parking space to park the car on the, the front driveway. And I'm pleased we did really. So, so new build houses are uh, an additional part. Um, we also have a, an incubator fund as well. So we put a, Nigel and I put a, a proportion of our time and our capital uh, to one side, and we invest that capital in management teams. And that's what we've always done over 30 years of, of mentoring people. I've mentored people for since about 1996 and mentored businesses. So we're increasingly investing sometimes our capital, quite often our time, um, and becoming shareholders and board members of certain businesses where we back management teams. And I I absolutely love that. Get a real kick out of that, seeing seeing talent rise to the surface and uh, and seeing wonderful people achieve absolutely magnificent things. It, it actually doesn't get any better than that. Uh, it's been very inspiring uh, listening to you, Mark. And I guess, again, for people listening now, just the power of leveraging multiple different assets, building wealth across multiple pillars. You've talked about property, leveraging your pension, joint ventures, but um, you know, it gives you that peace of mind, that security, that foundation to build upon. Any any final lessons that you would like to share? Um, I mean, there are, there are so many. I, I think everything we do um, is, is structured for assured outcomes, you know, starting with the end in mind. So I, I used, you know, three S's, structure, structure, structure. You know, property's wonderful. But actually, nobody came out the womb wanting property. It's what property gives you. Property is a vehicle to creating wealth and creating security and, and resilience. It's how you structure the acquisition of those assets. So we invest in businesses. Obviously, I've got IP with the books, um, how we structure property, how tax efficient we are, capital allowances, all these things. It revolves around how we structure the deal how we structure the business, how we structure our investments. Um, and I, that, that's probably one of the core, the core uh, areas of experience that I've gathered over, over all those years. Um, and we put that to, to good effect. So, so if, if people really do want to accelerate their journey and solidify and um, really concentrate their, their, their wealth and growth, focus on the structure make sure that structure is highly tax efficient, resilient and protected. I think that would be my, my closing bit of advice. Mark, thank you very much. Um, apart from the SaaS Alliance Facebook group, if anyone wants to connect with you online, where's the best place for them to head? Yep. So I run Equa Academy, E-Q-U-A Academy, Equa Academy. If they go to Equa Academy uh, Facebook group, uh, direct message me on Facebook. They're probably the the, the two areas there. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. Thanks so much for sharing with us today, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks again, Christian. Okay, lots of good points for us to uh, discuss there, Kevin. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. Well, I really did enjoy it. And I learned a lot more about Mark that sometimes your friendship doesn't dive into, you know, particularly his feelings around his family, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But look, listen to the lesson in there. Crumbs, 25 years pensions wilderness, 25 years to build, double in as many months. That's just incredible, isn't it? That's almost an acceleration you just don't expect. No wonder he's excited 
um, about the subject of SaaS and why he's such a keen sharer. Yeah, well, talking of sharing, we have had uh, uh, another review on uh, on iTunes, actually, which I would love to read out. And um, this uh, review says, I've been listening to this podcast for just over 12 months and really enjoy how they translate and educate complex issues into something much easier to understand. The podcast has also been brilliant for supporting my mindset and growth. Plus, they have a great balance of interesting and relevant guests. Thank you for the great podcast. So thank you for the great review. Well, there you, you know what's interesting? Although we don't get reviews here, I did have a phone call today um, from somebody who said, I'm just loving being in your clubhouse room. It's like, oh, all right, okay, that's good. Because obviously clubhouse, the kind of new social media phenomenon where people can talk to us. So rather than the podcast, they just listen. They can jump on and uh, somebody's very nice and complimentary saying, I just love how you translate complicated things, how you're very passionate about your subject matter and how you're so inclusive and all the things we hear in Wealth Builders, don't we really? So good to hear that what we're doing is consistent across all media channels, Chris. Yeah, I popped in for the first time as well this week to have a listen to you because I'm not an iPhone user, so I've been one of those people on the sidelines. But uh, I see we've nearly got a 1,000 followers in Clubhouse, so that's uh, good to see. Yeah, I'm very pleased about that. Um, Yeah, and so, you know, we'll we'll keep going with that. In fact, Mark and I do a Clubhouse room every Friday, um, if you're interested. We call it uh, SaaS Alliance Um. SAS Weekly. So essentially, it's anything to do with SAS. You can jump in and ask me or Mark questions. And we've collaborated an awful lot, really, um, on not just SAS. You know, we discovered each other some while ago, and I think he had a bit of a misstep, as he talks about in his pension, where he chose the wrong trustee originally. You know, you've got to have a professional. And I think he laughingly says, at least to me, I'm not sure if he said it on the podcast, that they were moving at sort of seismic speed, um, very slow in other words, and uh, he wanted to move much more quickly. And then he discovered, you know, my skills, and uh, I've been delighted to be working with him and with his um, partner, Nigel. And what's interesting from their perspective, of course, is, you know, it's it's really a family thing, which is the essence of his story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's pull out some of the lessons then, and uh, always begins with the why. And um, for Mark, that was very clear. Um, he wanted more time with his family. He really wanted to take control. And um, Mark talks about, you know, being in control of his personal economy. And um, that's a, a mandate, as he says in his own words, that is, uh, he stood by very, very firmly. It's a language he uses a lot. And, um, and I think it, it makes perfect sense. And certainly as he has now gone on to, you know, not just do SAS, but um, and to make his pension work with his business, which is called uh, the Equi Group, which is a great property development company. But he's gone on to write about it and, and teach it, and that enthusiasm just shines over, doesn't it? So, you know, good good to hear what he's been up to and uh, and good to hear that he's been successful uh, th- right throughout the lockdown as well. So, But I love the family nature of what they're doing and, and the original catalyst, but also that he's got the freedom to spend time with the family now and working on his own terms, definitely as far as SAS is concerned, you know, he says, if I kind of buy a piece of property, I get the rent, the rent comes back to the family, you know, and then the growth in the SAS comes back to the family and you can involve the family members in that. And I think in due course, as the kids get older, 
they'll be involved too. So a true family wealth business as we advocate in the Wealth Builder Group, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So the freedom, which we know, you know, there's different types of freedom, but uh, always, all, all, almost always, I should say, is linked to time freedom. And uh, of course, once you have the, the, the time to, to really focus on the things that you want and, and building that legacy. And um, yeah, just also as that SaaS grows, then Mark is no longer as reliant on the banks and those sources of funding, um, which, you know, perhaps he used to have to rely on a bit more. And more important than ever in property, of course, as you know, we had that in the lockdown, banks not lending as much. We had it in the credit crunch in 2008. So, you know, it's never good to be completely reliant on any one source of anything. So banks can call money in and there's no worse place to be as a developer than the banking calling the money in because, you know, if they call the money in, uh, the value of your property, if it's unfinished, is almost worthless. So well, certainly worth a lot less. Uh, so consequently, having a wide range of funding options, including using their SaaS to either buy property or facilitate the buying of property, um, planning applications, you know, conversions, they just become super smart at being able to be creative. And, you know, when when did pensions ever get creative? I mean, who's ever had a pension statement and saying, I'm feeling more creative today? They never are. They're never smarter when they just get statements. But, you know, Mark and Nigel, you know, so strong now in their knowledge, um, you know, probably knows more than than most professional trustees and, and certainly most advisors. So, you know, hats off to him. And I'm so proud that uh, on our journey, as he was looking to share the movement with SAS Alliance, him and Nigel founded that. They invited me after a year or so to join the board to try and help take it to another level, which we, in fairness, we've done. You know, we've got a thriving community, uh, many members who are participating in the bi-weekly masterminds, and uh, there will be events coming up soon, site visits and um, conferences, you know, and talking about the conference, Chris, need to do a quick plug for that because free as always we try and give great value in wealth builders and uh, we've got a conference on the 25th of march which is uh, all day but you don't have to listen all day you can tune in and it will be recorded for members um, which is all the creativity that you can bring and other people bring in case studies and uh, expert knowledge from other speakers including myself i'll be speaking on one or two things um, in that conference, the SAS Alliance conference, Thursday, the 25th of March from nine o'clock to five o'clock. So tune in if you're interested. And our very own Paul Brooks, our the SAS director, will be uh, on the panel as well. He'll be speaking, as will one of our members, Louise Wrighton, who uh, Mark obviously talks about co-authoring uh, the SAS Superstars book with, and one of our wealth coaches, Carol Robinson. So uh, yeah, that's uh, a good day to look forward to. Yeah, and you want to know, I'll tell you what made me laugh more than anything else. Louise is hosting a panel of female SAS members, okay? And there's, you know, that's a really interesting thing because, interestingly enough, those taking control of their pension, only 25% of our SAS clients are female. So 75% men, 25% female. She's doing something about that big style. And her group that she's um, set up for this panel session is called Girls Just Want to Have Funds. <laughs> what do you think of that? I like it. I like it. We've got to have a little bit of fun having you uh, on, on the way, on the journey. Yeah. I notice you're sitting on the sidelines. So you're the sidelines of Clubhouse. You're in the sidelines of the conference. 
it's probably best you did some work, Chris, don't you think? I'm too busy producing these podcasts each week. <laughs> um, the final point I, I want to touch on, I think it's a really important one, um, is that Mark hasn't done this by himself and nobody builds wealth by themselves. And he, he talks about Nigel, Nigel Green, who is obviously his uh, business partner. But understanding your strengths and weaknesses and they are a, such a great partnership and uh, for those that know Nigel, he's definitely the more detailed uh, guy. And when we talk about wealth dynamics, he would be on the steely side on the left and Mark perhaps a bit more on the creative side. Um, but it's it's really important. And Mark talked about as well when he was leaving his employment to repurpose your skills. And uh, we talk about this a lot, but it's a, it's a point that really shouldn't be overlooked. Absolutely right. I mean, so the critical thing there he stresses, and I think it's I agree with it 100%, is when you have built all of those previous skills, then you must bring them with you on your wealth journey. You don't leave them behind and become, in inverted commas, a newbie. As many people do from a corporate life, they get involved in any kind of assets, like property, for example, and they start life as a newbie and they forget the incredible insights, the value, the relationships, the skills that they had in their previous world of building value, but you know, maybe not earning the value in terms of asset, but but certainly creating value for others. And that value creation skill is definitely worth bringing with you. Just stick it in your rucksack, pack it on your back, and make sure you don't overlook that mountain of value that you're standing on. But because you're standing right on top of it, it just isn't within your field of vision. Okay, so we hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation today and we return next week, Kevin, for the big 100. So bring your party poppers along to that one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, Chris. And it, you know, it feels like everything's gone very smoothly and we've really enjoyed the journey together. So I think we should have a bit of a celebration. Who knows what we have in store for you? But until next time, my friend, see ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership. <laughs>